The Accidental Entrepreneur is produced by Bindhacker Law and brought to you through our affiliate relationships with the following sponsors. One of One Productions, the New Jersey-based podcast studio that produces and edits both audio and video podcasts. They sell equipment for the average podcaster and have even created a guesting kit exclusively for our listeners. North Authentic, the conscious hair care marketplace offering the cleanest brands from around the world. The Healthy Place, the e-commerce site with thousands of supplements to help you live a healthier life, along with natural solutions for chronic pain, stress, anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, and much, much more. And be sure to support the podcast by ordering some logo merchandise from our online store. Listen to all of our sponsors' commercials later in this episode and follow their links in the show notes to learn more about their products and services. We own the, We bought the commercial building that the company operated out of. And actually, I just sold it to the third owner um, and closed on it two days ago with a seller note. <laughs> Got it. So you basically were the order. landlord. Once you sold the company, you held the, the real estate. They were your tenant for... What is that? Uh, eight, oh, eight, you said. So 14 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The second owner was a tenant and then th- then it got sold to another owner and then they were my, they were my tenant. And then we just sold it to them with just a, don't want to be a 30 year note. Yeah. yeah just want the got cash it, flow. It. Okay. So you cashed out. Uh, were you already involved kind of in real estate at that point when you sold the company in 08? Um, 2013, no, 13, it was eight years, um, right? Yeah, we were buying uh commercial properties and um, in in 09, we started buying. Got so, it. so anytime we re- anytime we closed out on a project, we received a lump sum amount of money because everything is um, you're you're paid at the end of the job. Um, okay, you, yeah, it's a you know, firm fixed pricing and you're paid. Once the job's completed and, and inspected, then you get paid after that. So we get a check in the mail and then we go out, look for a property and buy a property. The information provided in these episodes is for entertainment purposes only. It is not a guarantee of success or to be construed as advice of any kind. You should always seek advice from local licensed professionals before making any decisions. The dictionary defines an entrepreneur as a person who organizes and manages any enterprise, especially a business, usually with considerable initiative and risk. People often start a business without much choice, perhaps due to a job loss or just being dissatisfied at work, and they come up with an idea they just know can be successful. They become entrepreneurs by accident. That is to say their success or failure happens by accident, not with intention. My name is Mitch Beinhacker. I'm a corporate attorney and a business advisor. You're listening to The Accidental Entrepreneur, my podcast about how to achieve success on purpose, not by accident. Join me along with our monthly guests where we share our knowledge and help you get a hold of your business. And now on to today's episode. Hello, I'm Martin Sines with BeQuest Legacy Investing, and I've been an entrepreneur for 17 years, going on 18. What I do for a living is I help homeowners stay in their homes with mortgage plans as well as provide passive income to our investors that invest in BeQuest. Okay, I want to welcome everybody to another episode of The Accidental Entrepreneur. Uh, we have a guest from Florida, sunny Florida. We're in New Jersey here, so uh, I'm jealous of where he is and what he's doing. We'll talk about that a little bit. 
If you are listening on your favorite directory and you can, please leave us a five-star review. And if you're watching the video on YouTube, be sure to subscribe to the feed, uh, hit the like button so we can keep bringing uh, you know, valuable content and good conversations like this to people that need them. So I want to welcome my guest today, Martin Sines. You, you corrected me on your pronunciation of your name, right? And you said you're down in Sarasota? Correct. Um, however, I grew up in Westfield, New Jersey. There you go. So I mm-hmm. live in Westfield, New Jersey. We talked about this. Yes. And um, I'm in Clark right now, but Westfield is uh-huh. uh, is a nice place to raise raise a family. So um, we'll get into your whole story. Tell me how you ended up in Florida, but maybe you want to go back, talk about you know your experience and how you got into investing. We'll take you through the. You can take us through the timeline a little bit. Sure. So um, after getting uh, an MBA from Drexel University. I had, um, you know, aspirations of um, <clears throat> joining corporate America and climbing the corporate ladder. And what I found in my first corporate job was that um, I was just very unhappy. It wasn't a fit for me. I felt very um, constrained, and um, and and just the whole politics of it of a large corporation just what kind just of companies didn't were you working for? Um, I managed a call center for Sears Roebuck. Got and it. you know, which you know, a little different than di- what you're doing. Now. Dinosaur, yeah. yeah, right, yeah, and and so, um, yeah, so so I had about a hundred people under me, and I was just in the grind uh, seven days a week. Got it. And and so um, I, I left Sears after a few years, and my wife and I just decided to do our own business. That that was the way we we needed to go. Got it. How long ago was that? Uh, Two thousand four. Okay, so a while ago. Yes, so a while ago. So we we went through the whole uh, walk in the wilderness uh, as to you know what kind of business to open, uh, what are we good at, what do we what do we like to do, you know, like all this right. kind of self reflection and brainstorming. And what we came up with is um, the fact that my wife is very creative, and for myself, I wanted to sell a tangible product where where there was a strong need behind it. Uh-huh. And since we were living in the D.C. area at the time, we decided to open up a museum exhibit company that sold to the federal government as a okay. as a prime contract holder. OK, so you so, sold uh, exhibits for their museums like they had yeah. RFPs they would put out looking for exhibits. And then there was a whole process. How did you even find out about what that was? <laughs> So, so it's interesting. It's hard enough if you have, uh, if you're competent in a certain area and you start business and, and you try to uh, grow a client base to serve with right. the expertise that you hold. It's yeah. another thing not to have the expertise, the equipment, the know-how, and not and to sell to the largest customer in the world, which is the federal government, right. with mounds of bureaucracy. So we were, we started out <laughs> in the Valley and uh, it took us about three years to really figure it all out, if you will. And, but what, and, what makes you, and you'll tell me this, but mm-hmm. what, what makes you go into a business that is seems so insurmountable? You have no expertise, you know, dealing with government's hard. It's a lot of red tape and mm-hmm. paperwork figuring the whole system out as opposed to, I mean, there's been thousands of businesses you could have started, gotten involved with probably that had even franchises that like come like a business in a box, you know, and you 
you follow their their formulas and things like that. What made you like attracted to this? I've never even heard. I didn't even know you could do this, by the way. But. Oh, it's 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 um it's mind blowing. If you go into any of the major um, federal buildings around DC or around the around the country, yeah, um, there's always art programs. There's always exhibit displays, and and there's just there's just a lot of um, promotion that each individual unit does in the federal government because they're always fighting for dollars. Right. So they have to present themselves as, as, as the unit or, right. or their value has to shine. Yeah. If you don't spend your money, you lose your money. Basically. And then if you don't spend your own, you, you lose right. your money. But were you in the DC area at the time? Cause Drexel, I know mm-hmm. is in Philly. Right? Yes. And then yes. You, you ended up in DC for your corporate job. That's how you, where you guys settled. Yeah. So I initially yeah, took a job in Sears on the finance side. So, um, and then and in then that they, area in Philly, actually oh, in okay. Trevos, Trevos, Pennsylvania, outside Philly. Gotcha. And then they relocated me down to manage the call center in, in the DC area. And, um, I thought it was a promotion, but it was, it was, uh, <laughs> just like the kiss of death. <laughs> right. All right. Well, that makes a little sense though. You're in DC, right? The biggest yeah. employer, Mm-hmm. contractors, the federal government. So I guess a lot of people look to start a business and they're like, well, we're in DC. We might as well see what we can do with the government, right? Oh yeah. I mean, you either work for, in DC, you either work for the government, you sell to the government or you're in the military, <laughs> which makes sense, right? You're, you're, you know, in the government as yeah. well at that point. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so how did you, I know I'm getting lost in the weeds a yeah. little bit here, but ha- I'm interested. So how did you come across the idea, I mean, the idea of selling to the government obviously is a broad category, right? Mm-hmm. So then what was the resource? How do you start finding, okay, well, what could we sell to the government? Does yeah, so, so it was first about the product, like what what my wife and I felt like we could build a business around. Okay. And, and, and we had the good fortune of having a lot, there's a lot of government contracting communities in that area. So Got just it. like you join a chamber of commerce. You can tap into Exactly. You tap into and then you okay. start kind of um, putting the tentacles and, you know, planting the seeds and all that. Right. And, and that's what that's what we did. And you started learning and then you found that somebody sells exhibits to museums. Yeah. Yeah. Exhibit products, signage, artwork um, to the federal government and they buy they buy a lot of it. Right. So how do you and then how do you find the product? I mean, you weren't in the. You weren't in the museum business, right? Mm-hmm. So you had to procure exhibits. You don't call King Tut in Egypt and said, "Hey, can we bring your exhibit over?" Here? Like, what? What do you? How do you write a business plan? How do you get that started? Yeah. So, so we actually, my wife self-taught herself in a, in Adobe Illustrator in Photoshop, okay. and um, we bought equipment and we got trained on the equipment, and then we hired um, an individual. So we fabricated. Ever, as much as we could fabricate other than custom millwork. So it was a combination of in-house fabrication and some outsourcing. And we handled all the installation ourselves in-house. So what what do they do? They put an RFP out and say, hey, we need an installation for this thing that we're doing. And here's the specs and the parameters. And you just have to put it together, sh- submit it and get chosen. Is that is it, is it that easy? It's it's really not. Um, okay. <laughs> there's uh, with the federal government, there is um, there's a lot of bids that are wired. So okay. in other words, um, what that means is that is that the contractor they want to use 
writes the RFP for the government right. and, and they write it in an obscure way where only they can um, produce a quality bid. Right. And, and so you say so wired, I mean, it's a setup. It's a setup, yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so in Jersey terms, not right? fair bidding, right? It's totally in Jersey terms, in right? Jersey we need term. to pay for play, all yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the government has mastered that, <laughs> but <laughs> federal government okay. has mastered it. But okay. but anyway, but but sometimes you're on the receiving end as well. So I'm just okay. I'm just saying, right? Yeah. Um, and then um, but then also too, there's um. There's yeah, there, you become an expert in proposal writing. Um, the thing is, uh, you have to befriend certain people in the procurement departments. You have to get in with the SBA and you know have them kind of help you know push right. you along in cer- certain cases. And it's a lot of kicking and scratching for sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. So okay, so you so you're building that business up. You had a whole plan as to how to do it: the marketing, the networking, the working in. How, how did that do? How many years did you do? Um, we did that from 05 and we sold the company in, in 2013. They did about so, uh, eight years and yeah. you sold the company. So what, what did people buy at that point? Well, they were, we had, um, we were the only exhibit company that held a um, blanket purchase agreement with the Pentagon. Ah, so, okay. so um, they were just, it was sole sourced. So, so they could just call us and we would, be bidding against ourselves initially. Right. And as long as stars aligned between what we estimate a project to be and what they had in terms of funding, um, they would they would pursue the projects. And so when um, the idea is, and we did some work for the Smithsonian Museum, the idea is that um, once you get into like the head of the dragon and you start doing work for them, like er- you're good for everyone else. Like you become golden. And, become and, like uh, like authorized, approved. You're yeah, it's a sort of yeah. You become yep, exactly. It's a certification kind of thing. Or so how did you become the only one? Must have been a lot um, We 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 actually kind of lucked into it. So when we started, um, we were working out of the uh, the basement of our home. Okay. And and then we started. We were just taking little projects here and there, and. Um, and then one of our competitors, which is a 50-year-old company, and they are well-established, um, they would snub their nose at us, like because we were just kind of little scrappy, and and so um, they were always kind of looking down on us. So, but they they were doing work for the Pentagon, and okay. and they had um, <clears throat> got a call from the Pentagon. They're like, "Do you know any uh, SBA 8A companies, which is like a minority designation?" Right. Um, they can, they can, that we can lock in work with. And so then that now I became a friend, right? They're like, oh yeah, well, if we give this guy, if we give Martin and his wife, Ruth, this contract, then they're just going to feed us in the back door with subcontract work. Which you and did. so, which initially, yeah, initially, okay. but it, that got old quick. And, right. um, you know, cause then, then you just become like a servant to them, you know, and, the, and it's like, no, that's not, it's not the way it is. So, and actually the, and customers started not liking them as well because just personality and gouging and stuff. So it was Got just, it. we cut the cord with that other company and just started doing the projects ourselves and just kind but, of, but you just locked out because you met the criteria. They were looking for somebody and mm-hmm. you kind of worked your way in. Yeah. And like at the end of the day, I mean, it's, it's, um, 
something along the lines of the Pentagon. I mean, you have to come correct with the quality and the professionalism and everything has to be top notch. So, um, you know, the minority is just kind of like the entry ticket into the door. Right. You know, the rest you have to perform like anyone else would. Or you, so somebody you get is that out. who bought the company? Somebody who had a minority background too that could qualify. Yeah, yeah, but they never they never kind of fulfilled that direction for themselves, and it's oh, they, still the company's still existing. It's oh, yeah? still in existence. Yeah, and actually, it's a, it's on a different owner now, and um, got sold again. So we own the commercial building. Um, we own that we bought the commercial building that the company operated out of. And actually I just sold it to the third owner um, and closed on it two days ago with a seller note. <laughs> Got it. So you basically were the landlord. Once you sold the company, you held the the real estate. They were your tenant for what is that? Uh, eight, oh, eight, you said. So 14 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The second owner was a tenant and then then it got sold to another owner and then they're my, they were my tenant and then we just sold it to them with just don't a want to be bothered. 30 year note yeah i just want the got cash it, flow. okay so you cashed out uh were you already involved kind of in real estate at that point when you sold the company in 08 um 2013 was oh, 13 it. it was eight years um, right yeah we were buying uh commercial properties and um in in 09 we started buying Got so, it. so anytime we, re- anytime we closed out on a project, received a lump sum amount of money because everything is, um, you're, you're paid at the end of the job. Uh, okay. Yeah. It's a you know, firm fixed pricing and you're paid once the job's completed and, and inspected, then you get paid after that. So we get a check in the mail and then we go out and look for a property and buy a property. And, and that's kind of how we kind of grew things that way. So you were kind of building a little portfolio. So, so mm-hmm. did you know anything about real estate at that point? Um, we were studying on it um, since 04. So uh-huh. rich dad, poor dad. We were, yeah, sure. Uh, we took seminars. I mean, we knew that we wanted to get involved in real estate, but yeah. we knew also too, that we needed to have a business that was providing stable cash flow, right. Uh, first before, the next move, which is a move into more of an investor role. So the whole thing was kind of strategic, right? I mean, you were, it took five years to learn real estate. You were now started the procurement business and you, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. It was, it was kind of a, I don't know if it was a written business plan all combined, but it kind of was right. Yeah. I mean, I think I stumbled along the way and I mean, it sounds sounds packaged and pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Always looking back. yeah, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, right. I'm giving you like the highlights, right? The milestones, but no, it right. was, it was, there was a lot of ugliness along the course of things. <laughs> so, so what do you, th- so the, the, the Washington business was your first business, right? Mm-hmm. What do you think you learned running that business that helped when you made the transition into being a real estate investor and property? Owner? Yeah, that, uh, that, that I, I was not going to achieve the freedom I was seeking through small business ownership where I was the whole business. Right. Because it was always a one-off, right? Once the contract is done, you need another contract. It's transactional. And, and it's, um, and and then it's also grueling in terms of work schedule. And so your whole, you have no freedom of time. You have no work life balance. And I could have worked myself out 
that may have been like the strategy, but I still would have been, I still had to be the, the, um, client interface, you know, right. Uh, they were dealing client. with you. Exactly. Yeah. They're halfway buying for me and then right. the other half the product. So you can never kind of get out of the game, so to speak. And, and sometimes the game is you're in DC and you need to be in Dallas, San Diego, blah, 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 blah. And you would travel and, a lot. Yeah. And then we started having a family. And then, so I learned that that was not the, the, the level of freedom I was aspiring and, and I needed a better way. Right. Passive income. Something yes. Like. That's, that's a hundred percent. That's why 2013, when we sold the company, um, I took back a bit, a seller note with the buyer. And then, and then just, just from that, it was kind of an eye opening experience. I'm like, wow, I have this note every month. It's paying me. Right. And I'm like, you know, this is without me having to travel, without me having to take stress, without me writing proposals till midnight. And I'm like this, I need more of this. And, and that's when it started moving me in that direction of BeQuest. Got it. So so at that point, though, you were a private investor, right? You started in 09, you say. What kind of mm-hmm. properties did you own at that point? Um, you owned does- the building you were in. We knew that. So. Yeah, industrial spaces. They were industrial spaces. So I mean, there's a like large warehouse and stuff. Exactly. Yeah, they call them flex uh, spaces. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Half. Office, and they have a dock and warehouse mm-hmm. and stuff like that for small business. Yeah, and and what's amazing is that uh, what I found later in life, and if I would have known it at the time, I would have spent more energy trying to buy more properties, but um, they don't build these anymore in many locations in the country. You know, right. there's not, they want to zone large homes, you know, zone for large home building. Like nobody wants an industrial park. Right. By their right. House. So these flex space buildings, you don't see them going up as much. As things. It, especially like on the smaller size, you know, anything two to 10,000 square foot, they may build a monstrosity for right. Amazon. For Amazon. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Sure. But I, I guess warehousing logistics is like, that's like what you want to be in right now. You don't want to have residential apartments yeah. <laughs> and you certainly don't want office space Yeah, right now. It'll come back. But uh, OK, yeah. so so you started out with um, it was always commercial and uh, commercial. I, I did some residential. Um, we bought some residential properties, but, um, you know, they, they just were never as lucrative. Yeah. And there was always more maintenance involved because. People in an industrial space, I mean, two of the tenants were churches. So okay. they, they would only be there four hours out of the week, something <laughs> like that. I mean, what kind of wear and tear on cinder block wall can, can right. occur? Yeah. And and then take like a house where they're beating the hell out of it 24-7. Right. Um, you know, there's yeah, just no maintenance is more involved. The tenants need stuff. They might have a plumbing problem in the middle of the night. They don't really mm-hmm. have that in commercial spaces. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I assume for people listening, we can explain what it is, but I assume a lot of these net, the leases were either net or triple net, right? Where the tenants really had responsibility for everything. Yeah, some were, some weren't. Um, just okay. gross, gross leases. And uh, and and so it just, just depends. Either way, I mean, it was just, it's such a low, low maintenance, low effort type investing. Yeah. And those Asset were in class. the DC area when you started? Is that where you were mm-hmm. buying properties? Yeah, on the Virginia side. Virginia yes. side. Got mm-hmm. it. Got it. Got it. Is you still own a lot of properties there? No, I've been actually selling them off over the past three, four years with um I'm trying to do as many with seller financing as I can. So that way just create a So you're getting you're getting into the note business. Oh, I yeah, that's BeQuest is is 
the note business. <laughs> got it. Yeah. Got it. Well, we'll get into BeQuest in a minute. Yeah. So, all right. So, um, did you? When did you move to Florida? So, like, so 2020. Recently? No, 2020. So we operated BeQuest out of um, Virginia for for a while, and we moved to Sarasota in 2020. Got it. And was BeQuest originally just you and your wife, or were you always looking for outside investors in that company? <laughs> So, uh, no. So we started taking on investors. I, I have a business partner on B, on the BeQuest side. Got it. And we formed a partnership in 2019. Uh-huh. And prior to that, um, I was buying mortgages in another entity for the most part. And so um, that was just my entity. My wife, actually, we have four children. So um, she was homeschooling. Nice. So we started having children in 2012 and then she's been homeschooling well before COVID. And so, and so she didn't want anything to do with business anymore. Um, The the government and the travel burnt her out. She doesn't, yeah, yeah, she doesn't want anything to do with it now actually. Okay. So, so at that point you switched from you own still own properties, Mm -hmm. but then you were looking to buy paper. So I know what buying a mortgage is, maybe you can explain what the it's basically a secondary market of buying mortgages yeah. is for a private investor. Maybe we want to explain that. Sure, sure. So um yeah, there's a secondary mortgage market and how it essentially works is you have a bank that originates a mortgage <clears throat> to um qualified um qualified homeowners that are looking to buy a home. And right. um what happens in about four percent of the cases is these mortgages go into default. Right. Uh, whereas um, someone loses their job, uh, there's a health issue or there's a divorce. That's usually the case. Okay. And and after a few years of um, those loans sitting on the bank's um, balance sheet, they'll bundle them off, bundle them up and sell them into the secondary mortgage market to a fund or another lender at right. a discount at a discount. So if they if if uh, if there's a principal balance of a hundred thousand, they might sell it. At the time, I was buying them um, maybe like fifteen twenty thousand, something like that. Fifteen twenty cents on the balance. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. and so um, I buy these mortgages, and then I would you have a choice to make at that point. You can exit through the property through uh, through foreclosure. Foreclosure, right? Take back the property, sell it off, get your money, move on. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, The other exit is uh, you can exit through the homeowner uh, through a loan modification, essentially. And okay. Or they refinance you out or something like that. Right. If they could. Yes. If they could, which at 10 years ago, they couldn't because nobody had equity for the most part. Most people were underwater. So, um, so I decided the loan modification was it's, it's the longer term play. Yeah, but it's but it's more compassionate and um, uh, it's more in line with kind of my values. And even though I we can make a you know, bigger bang for the buck um, selling the property, foreclosing, displacing and selling the property, right. we want to be in it for a long term cash flow stream and keep the family in the home. Yeah. And so we just started buying more of those loans. I self-funded for a number of years and um, to make and, the purchases. To make the purchases. Yeah. And I would exit out like I might modify a loan and then I might sell the loan. So you I could resell just, it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. The resale value spikes way up once you reseason the loan. Got it. Reseasoning meaning 
get it working and get people paying and have a better history, right? Exactly. Yeah. Get get them paying. And over a 12-month period of on-time payments, they become re-seasoned. Right. So and, and well, they, you also, if you buy a no, hundred thousand dollar no, you paid 20 grand for it. You don't sell for a hundred thousand. Yeah. If you sold it for sure. 60, you tripled your money, right? Yes, exactly. Here's a word from our sponsors. Looking to get into podcasting? Maybe to market your business for your own enjoyment or because you have a message you want to get out there. One of One Productions is a New Jersey-based studio just over the George Washington Bridge that caters to the booming business of podcasting. They offer a comfortable atmosphere using the latest technology available to record your podcast. And they are a full-service media company offering both audio and video production services, creating both audio and video podcasts as well as video shorts for business and personal use. Professional audio equipment packages are available through their website for all budgets. And be sure to check out their podcast guesting kit created specially for our listeners. Care for your health. Care for the planet and look flippin' great doing it. North Authentic is a conscious hair care marketplace offering the cleanest brands from around the world. Their pro stylists curate only the most fabulous non-toxic hair products with better-for-you shampoos, serums, masks, and more that actually give you gorgeous hair without hurting your health or the planet. Hey, you've only got one life, one planet, and one glorious mane. Might as well treat them all as best you can, right? Try a 100% clean hair care routine prescribed just for you using their link in the show notes. If you don't see a big, beautiful difference in how your hair looks and feels, you can tell them they're crazy. Do you battle chronic pain, stress, anxiety, or depression? Well, if you take any supplements or you're interested in natural alternatives, you need to know about findyourhealthyplace.com. Find Your Healthy Place has thousands of supplements to help you live a better quality of life as well as natural solutions for chronic pain, stress, anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, and much, much more. Need guidance? Use their live chat feature and talk to a wellness consultant right on their website. And be sure to use our coupon code TAEPODCAST for all your purchases to get the best prices at findyourhealthyplace.com. Follow their links in the show notes to learn more about all of our sponsors. And now back to our show. And and so... So um, I stayed small for, but, but for about four years, but then I also was able to build my systems and I learned every aspect of the business myself because I did every aspect of the business myself. Right. Um, but I, it, it was still better than the government contracting business because I didn't have um, demanding government, you know, officials that were just barking at me all day. Right. Um, you know, I, I was just going at my own pace. So it was very, very nice. And I wrote, um, I wrote a book, Note Investing Made Easier uh, in 2017. Right. And then I wrote uh, a couple other books based on the systems I put together and just kind of laying out my day to day as a note investor and so forth. And so I started getting people reaching out to me and um, one of them was my business partner now. And he read my book. He came out and spent some time with me. We started doing some deals together and we launched, um, we put together BeQuest in 2019, launched it 2020 to take on investor capital and and buy re-performing mortgages. These are mortgages that are reseasoned. You know, like one step ahead, so you don't have to season them yourself, and you make less profit. But 
it's less work from less risk. Yeah. So we still kept the private fund that, that, that it currently owns about 35 million in mortgages, the private fund, most the of that's distressed. Yeah, exactly. It's mostly yeah. distressed at, and, um, but there are re- mortgages that it's an incubator. So there's mortgages that are being seasoned in that fund now. Got it. And then they move and, over to bequest. Is that what And happened? they move over to bequest after they meet quite certain criteria and they get sold into bequest at, at, a 65% investment to value. So Got that's it. a so heavy- if you pay 20 cents, they would buy you out for 65 cents. So your private fund makes money, they get a season mortgage, mm-hmm. and you have a bit of a feeder. But pricing is no longer 20 cents. <laughs> so so right. pricing, yeah, pricing's you know, gone up all, you know, because the equity coverage, the quality of the right. assets and everything's gone. Yeah, the margin shrink. Yeah, so, so, but still the private fund still does well. Um, Bequest gets a a an asset in at a an eleven to twelve percent yield for a purchase okay. price, and it, it allows us in the income fund to pay our investors a nine percent annual pref with payments made on a monthly basis. And then you make the difference. And then we make the difference. Yes. Right. Okay. So let's go back a little bit because you started in a business you knew nothing about with procurement with the government. Then you mm-hmm. moved into real estate that you taught yourself and started to learn and. Commercial, I, I like flex space. I like commercial space. Yeah. And then how, how do you get into buying mortgages? I mean, it's not like you go to the stock market. Mm-hmm. You have to. So how did you work your way in there and start finding products, you know, mortgages that you could buy? Is there an auction process? What, so, what's the whole process? Yeah. So um, so I, I went to a local um, real estate in, in investment club, ARIA, and uh-huh. um and then I ran into uh, like a no sh- national salesperson that has like a sales operation for training you to how to be a note investor. Uh-huh. I took a three day class, which was really just kind of like an emotionally charged cheerleading session on how you're going to just be a bazillionaire doing this. Right. And so I learned enough to kind of want to put my money out and get started. And I didn't trust, I didn't trust that I, I didn't trust being in their program and, and that it was going to, I think it was going to be more beneficial to them. Yeah. Like you buy, programs are like that. you buy their notes, right. You know, you buy everything, right. all the money gets, you know, they're in the middle of everything. Yeah. And, of and so I'm like, okay, well that may be good, but I, I want to, I want to learn this. I, I have a, I, I've been landlording for about four years prior. So I want to give this a go. So I bought 10 mortgages in Ohio. From where? Um, oh, so this was in yeah. an exchange online called so you FC- found You found it online. Yeah, FCI Exchange is an online exchange. You could go buy a note, but they shut down. Um, they shut down because uh, they, they had a real bad lawsuit where they were an exchange where people can like buy and sell. They were brokering mortgages from well, the banks to you. That's why they got in trouble. That's why, because, because someone didn't like with, they, they clearly put that we're not brokers. We're just getting paid a fee to match, do matchmaking. But then someone sued them because they're like, no, you, you 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 validate, you're acting as a broker. You know, someone messed it all up. Right. And, and now, I mean, there's paper stack, which is the largest, um, platform for buying notes, but there's really not much inventory on the retail side for this industry okay. now. So what I learned is everything's relationship based. Go figure. 
And, right. and so um, you have to go to the conferences, you have to go take people out to dinner, you have to go. Um, people that manage have, these distressed portfolios for lenders, right? Yeah. Directly. Yeah. yeah. And just, and just really, um, they have to know that, that you're competent, that, you know, that you're not going to bring them into a lawsuit or some type of PR right. nightmare. Right. Um, and, and so there's to be some trust that's built. You have to buy a few notes, you know, make sure that they understand that you're, you're easy to transact with. And then, so over time, just start transacting more and more. Um, and what's happened is that, is that, um, over the course of time in the 2010s, um, equity coverage, um, equity situations with homeowners was getting better, progressively right. better. And as that was happening, the price of notes increased as well as compliance increased. So um, people that didn't stay up with that trend um, started falling out and less inventories trickled down from the big boys down to the retail level. So a lot of the small mom and pops start going out of business. And this is probably no different than, than right, any other on the flipping real sure. estate side, right. you know, the mom and pops, you know, the death, the, the death of the mom and pop, you know, investor, right. um, because there's no product on the retail level. And, um, and retail players sometimes have trouble scaling up into wholesale level uh, play. And so same thing in the mortgage note industry, but we started scaling building systems. Um, and then my partner and I, you know, he's came from corporate America. He brought that whole, you know, professionalized the whole system, if you will. And then we just started buying larger and larger pools. And so we have the which is distress. a package of mortgages. Mm -hmm. okay. So the distress fund is privately owned by my partner and I. We don't have any um Volume investor. Got it. Yes. And then and then and then the bequest actually. Sean and I are the largest investors in the income fund too, because we actually launched in 2020. We weren't going to take any in, invest outside investor capital. Okay. It was a friends and family fund. That's why Got we it. launched it. It's evergreen. So there's no expiration date. So we wanted this just to pass down to our, our, our children. Yeah. Like that was the whole idea. Building wealth. Right. And then in 2021, we started seeing some larger trades, and then we started bringing on um, investor capital from accredited investors we didn't really know. And so that right. that's kind of where we are today. With things. Got it, got it, got it. All right. I think there's some really good lessons here because, you know, as an entrepreneurial podcast and as a business attorney, I, you know, I say this all the time, a, a lot of success in business I mean, you're, like you said, some of it's planning, some of it's building systems, some of it's being strategic, but a lot of it is building relationships, networking. It was the same in Washington as it was when you went into the real estate business, mm -hmm. as it was when you went into the note business. That's how you got your partner too. And I think a lot of people overlook that. They, they start a business out, whether it's in passive investing in assets or it's um, you know more of an active business, retail, whatever. And they set up and they put some ads in the paper and they're doing some social media and they're out there and nobody's coming through their door. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you didn't, you didn't have that luxury, right? You didn't, couldn't just sit around, and wait for notes to walk through your door. That wasn't going to happen. No. Or no, real estate so for that matter. You'd go with a broker. That's all retail stuff. So you're not going to get any leverage with any of that stuff. So instead you went out and you know, build relationships. A lot of people have to understand networking really, really is important and works. Yeah. Networking. And, you know, just, 
just be likable, right? Like it just, how do you start relationship building, right? Just be someone people want to be around. (laughs) Like, you know, don't be arrogant. Don't be, um, don't be something you're not be genuine. Uh, you know, be Be nice. You mean be nice. Yeah. And that's the whole starting point. And what I found over the years with real estate and node investors is that there's a lot of people significantly smarter than me, like IQ wise and all this and that. And, 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 and they, they focus right into the technical, like how can they build better systems? How can they do this aspect better? And they spent very little time on the relationships and they don't have any deal flow. Yeah. Cause that's 80, 90% of the deal that's in any business. Yeah. It's all relationships. And I, and I think you're right. If you're, if you're friendly, if you're truthful, if you're honest, because people can see right through that mm-hmm. and they get a funny feeling, you build trust with people. And then people yes. want to do business with you because whether people admit it or not, they like doing business with people that are nice. Like it makes you feel good. I don't care if you're in the government, you know, you're in the Pentagon or you're in a bank, uh-huh. you got to deal with people. And if they like you, they feel like they're doing their job and they're helping you, well, even if yes. that's psychological and psychosomatic, they don't realize it, but that's human nature. That's why it, networking works. That's why trust building works. It, it's like, it's it, like what we're saying, this is probably the most significant piece of everything we're talking about. When people give money to us yeah, and they trust us, I mean, like I hear it all the time. Like I'm trusting you with my, yeah, they with have my money. To. And, right. and so they're saying like, you seem like, you know, you, you're really on top of it. You're engaged, you're passionate. Like they see these attributes and that's why they're giving it to me. No one's ever given me a check and be like, you seem so intellectually superior to the right. other people I met. And, you know, right. so you must know, you must be a better steward. Right. No, that doesn't, that doesn't meet the criteria. That doesn't meet the gut punch, the, the good feeling about trusting somebody with your money. Cause ultimately look, you and I both know people have taken money in and have mm-hmm. been shysters and have been wanderers and have left the country and, have, you know, pretty well-known people have been taken. You don't have to be just a little guy to get taken and you get one shot at yeah. that, right? If you screw it up, if you don't handle their money, well, they're going to tell everybody, they'll tell one or two friends that you did a great job. Mm-hmm. They'll tell a hundred of their friends that you ripped them off and you're a criminal. So, yeah. and I, and I don't think, I think, it's pretty evident that no matter what business you went into, if you wanted to go into a totally different business, you would probably have a pretty good high chance of being successful because you understand what it takes to build relationships. It has nothing to do with, you didn't know anything about the procurement business that, mm-hmm. that you did in Washington. You didn't know anything about real estate investing. You didn't know anything about note investing. You went out, you could find that. You don't need to be brilliant. Yeah, you you you're smart. You're you are brilliant because you go and you learn this stuff. And even when you go to these seminars, I feel the same way. You go to these seminars, are rah rah, but you but there yeah. is information to learn, well, right? Well, they, it's more than I mean. Like they were there, they're like, oh, go go tell your uncle, you know, Joe, to cut you a check, and right. they started talking about bringing all this money. And like I didn't do that until it was feasible or like we were scaling to a level where we needed outside capital. But yeah. if out of the gate, when I didn't know what the hell I was doing and I start asking family members for money, I mean, that's really bad. It can run into some real problems. You got to be real careful when it comes to it. Also, you mentioned accredited investors for people listening, right? Mm-hmm. When a, an accredited investor is basically somebody who has a net worth of more than a million right now, right? And they got to be, their income could also be 200,000 in the last five years or something like that, right? So there's some criteria that you meet. If you're just doing 
if you're just raising money from friends and family and people that you know, you really don't have those issues. But if you're now going out to the general public, the SEC has some very strict rules about who you can bring into a private investment, basically because they don't want little guys to get screwed. That's really where the rule comes from, but it's properly. Yeah, they, they want, um, they consider the accredited investor a sophisticated investor. Right. And um, what's interesting is that uh, about third, I saw a statistic, 36% of the of individuals earning 200K or more in this country live paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. No, and, the criteria is wrong. It's, uh, yeah. The thresholds are wrong. Just you could be worth a million dollars because your home's worth a million dollars and have no money. Yes. You know, and living paycheck to paycheck. It really should be a higher level. But then, you know, it's the other side of, well, then you're shutting out all these people that want to want to invest. They have loosened up those rules a little bit. You know, it used to be with a 35 uh, number, the credit investor, you can bring in 35 accredited investors. The guys at the SEC always felt that that was a guideline. They didn't think that that was like a hard fixed mm. rule. So depending <laughs> on what you were doing, they might say, oh, that's 20 is too many, you know? Well, the 506B, which is a non-general solicitation um, status with the SEC, right. that you can you can get away with up to 35 investors. Um, I think that number is still the correct. That so. are non-accredited. It, it, the the onus is on the investor to verify that they're accredited. Right. They find, they with, fill out the form, and you've got to accept them. Face accept it. But with our with our fund, we're five hundred six C. It's the responsibility falls with us to ensure they're accredited, and we can get in trouble um, with that. And to be honest with you, like we don't want that exposure, and we don't no. want someone using their last. Um, Right, you then know, they come dollar. sue you because you ripped them off and you weren't, didn't do your due diligence. And that's the last thing you need. Now, do you have to also file a, a Regulation D filing and you have a prospectus and everything, subscription agreement, that kind of stuff, private place it, memorandum, I guess, better? It, exactly, yeah. We're Reg D and we have to file uh, for blue sky laws in all uh-huh. the states um, that you know we provide a list. We have an SEC attorney. Yeah. Out of Delaware, and we provide um, him a list with new investors, and he gets. You're filed in all states. You can take investors from any state in the country. He fought. Yes, yes, we can. But if we take on an investor in a state we're not currently registered in, he has to register us in that state. I think so you have not, a period of time, right? You have like. It varies by state by state with fines, and New York being the stiffest one. If you're like a, a second late, it's uh, it's pretty right. hefty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that's all part of you know learning about doing things right, getting the right people on your team, and and you know and figuring all out. A lot of people invest in real estate; it doesn't become a business for them. It's more of a passive investment activity. Yeah, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, uh, and, and, and I'm not going to call something illegal or, or, you know, whether it's legal or illegal or whatever, but there's a lot of deals that were put together that I don't think were legal in the note right. industry over the years. And probably same with real estate where they're, you know, the operators co-mingling funds and, you know, through a, just a loose LLC structure without right. any registrations. And yeah, that happens like a lot. And, and I know it's, you have to be very careful, especially we would never do that. But if you're taking retirement money with yeah. ERISA laws, I mean, you could really get in trouble. Get in a lot of trouble. I think the real estate business always felt it was like a hybrid, you know, because of partnerships, limited partnerships in the old days when people would invest in real estate deals and stuff like that. There was mm-hmm. no, nobody really followed any of those rules. And then at the time, as people were investing in private businesses and people raising money and funds and things like that. So, so is, be- is bequest 
an actual fund? It's considered a fund? Mm -hmm. Yes, it's a private fund. Fine. So people own shares in the company. It's a Delaware corporation, is that? Correct. It's a Delaware corporation. They're an equity stakeholder in the in in the LLC and they're which makes them a part owner of the entire portfolio. Are they non-voting shares or have non-voting structures? Correct. Got it. So you and your partner really control the the business. Yeah, and that's and that's intentional. And, and you know, yeah, I've had every once in a while you have someone they're like, oh, well, I want a controlling share, you know, in, in the company. You're like, and I'm like, oh, you want to come work here? You know, five right, days exactly. a week. Exactly, that's a controlling like, yeah, share. Yeah, we, we we need another. You know, and then right. they're like, no, I'm not. Like, oh, so you want to not be involved, but you know, have all the the perks of being involved. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so, is, tell me about your company structure. There's the two of you, and you have other employees in office space. Is it a virtual system? Mm-mm. No. Uh, so we have 22 employees, and no. um, everyone reports in. Um, we're you know we're not a remote workplace. We have a work culture. Um, uh, HR director, marketing director, um, investor relations director. We have coll- a team of collectors. Um, we have uh, investor relations sales professionals. So there's a whole whole uh, system. We we come together for morning meetings in the morning. And um, I'm not sure if it's kind of as open or free up in Jersey now. I haven't been up. I, I was in Cape May about uh-huh. a month and a half ago. Yeah. Uh, that It was just so nice to see Cape May again. Yeah, Cape May's um, great. Yeah. yeah, everything's kind of. Okay, everything's, yeah, everything's good. Much. Good, yeah. Much. I mean, you still have to wear a mask if you go to your doctor's office and possibly, mm-hmm. but. Same here, same much. here. Yeah, it's the same. Florida's a little crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we never, we never really shut down here. Yeah. So how, what made you guys go to Florida? Uh, you know, I've always kind of wanted to go to Florida. Um, it became as you're as as we were doing better financially, um, the tax savings just was was more appealing. Right. There's no state income tax down here. Right. And um, also to uh, just just the um, and with the federal government being in the D.C. area, I think I just got jaded and kind of burnt out. <laughs> with the bureaucratic culture right. of entitlement. And so it's kind of everywhere. It's not just in a government building. I mean, it's the mentality. The whole area. Right? Yeah. Just kind of wears on you. Yeah. 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 And and nothing you do is, I mean, it's all, you're buying notes and stuff. It's paper and, and any mm-hmm. other investment you have. You don't have to be, you can be wherever you want. Really. Wherever we want. Yeah. 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 What made you choose Sarasota over like South Florida? Yeah, so um, you know, I it was uh, uh, we 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 did the city thing, kind of being close to DC for a number of years. Sarasota is really like a small town. I, yeah. I mean, it's um, it's just kind of like it's a it's a vacation getaway kind of place, sure. and uh, it's on the west coast, right? Kind of close to Tampa, St. Pete. It's south of Tampa, so Got Tampa it. is the big city. I mean, you right. want big city, you go into Tampa, but we're kind of like it's similar to Naples. I mean, uh-huh. so sure. Naples very kind of close. You got a few office buildings, um, and uh, I mean, the water is just right across the street from right. the office here, the Gulf, the Gulf and um, yeah, it's no just, hurricane issues. Uh, no, so Sarasota has a lot of barrier islands, and so uh, it's protected from a lot of hurricanes. Tampa gets it. And south of us, but not Sarasota's uh, doesn't get the hurricanes effect like that. Do you own properties in Florida? Did you buy stuff down there too? 
Um, so we, we just bought our house, um, okay. where we're at. And, uh, actually I know, I know you had mentioned, um, you had made a mention about office building. So, so what we did, um, in August is we bought a 62,000 square foot medical office building in Houston. Got it. So, so we are starting to look, it's very strategic, not, it's not general office, but um, there's certain metropolitan cities in in the southern U.S., um, like Tampa, like Houston, Dallas, where where there's still healthy migration into yeah. into those cities, and there's aging populations, and so even with the recession that I believe we're starting into and is going to last a little bit of time here, right. um, there people still need to go to the doctor's offices. They still need to get lab work done and everything else. So if we can find a building that that we feel will will serve the medical practice industry, we'll, we'll consider it. You own the building a hundred percent or are you a passive investor in the deal? We, we, um, we bought it at a seven and 7.25 cap rate. And, um, we we launched a fund for it and we did a partial raise. We put our own money in and then we got leverage for 50% with the bank. So you really did. You set up a private fund, private investors bought the deal. Now who manages the property? Um NAI partners. So it's a um it's it's a property management. They they were already in place and they were ah, it was all really yeah, we're seeing good performance with them. So we're just managing the managers, so to speak. I think there's a lot of opportunities for smaller guys who don't want to do what you do full time that can invest and get involved in this kind of stuff if they have the income to do it and still mm-hmm. do what they want to do during the day. I think that's really one of yeah, the attractive I, things. Yeah. I think the I think the thing is um, you know, the thing is for for anyone is just is is you got to start at some point. So yeah. um, you're not going to start with a sixty thousand square foot medical building just to roll some of your money into. And you have to have money in all your deals. I mean, right? It, you know, this whole idea. There's just so much out there where it's just like other people's money, and you don't need. You just need to put right. zero down. You can that. do this with no money, and it's just not yeah. realistic. No, no, it's not, and it's it's just. I, I mean, you're you're. Um, it's it's risky. I mean, when there's a downturn or what have you. Right. That's a lot of these guys go out of business. They're so highly leveraged. Mm-hmm. And when the when the water breaks, when the wave crashes down to the shore, they're stuck. See, families, real estate families go out of business because they're so heavily leveraged, negotiating deals with the banks, giving them back properties just so they can walk away scot-free. Yeah. yeah. Or, or like um um just bad models where you know everyone you know they model out the property and say like tenant uh rates are going to increase to infinity yeah you know like no that's not you know at some right. there's a breaking point <laughs> of course when things turn around okay so um i appreciate you spending time with me today talking about you know your background your history in business and hopefully people learn some things about you know don't quit your day job while you're doing this, squirrel money away and start to build it and build relationships. You can do anything if you build the right relationships. Mm-hmm. What um, what are one or two or three of the things that you maybe would do different or you would give somebody advice if they're getting started, whether it's just in business or in the real estate business specifically as, um, you know, as, as a new entrepreneur, I guess? Yeah, I mean, if you're someone that is... Um... Get, getting your income stable 
is, is just critical because otherwise you'll be stressed out of your mind and you'll be wanting things to work that aren't ready to work. And so, um, you know, keeping, like you said, keeping your day job, but for that person that may have saved up 5,000 or $10,000 and they're like, okay, well, what do I want to go invest? And they start looking at crypto and they start being like, I'm going to be a day trader. I'm going to go wholesale properties or whatever. I would suggest, um, spending that money, building your network and subscribing to HubSpot, like a CRM system, getting some business cards made go attend some conferences or some educational seminars and spend that money on education and, and um, networking out of the gate. Building relationships. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because okay. if you, if you stumble on the right deal, the money right. will be there. I mean, yeah, that's a fact. Yeah. Because good deals, people want to put money. Into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, I also want to ask you, you mentioned you've written several books Are those all available on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. If you and put my name in on Amazon, you'll get you'll get the books. Okay, good. Maybe you can send me the links. We'll put them in the show notes. Okay, too for Great. people listening and people can learn about um, investing. So, Martin, I thank you for joining me from sunny Sarasota. It's actually it's actually <laughs> Mitch, sunny in Westfield, too, come, so it's not come, yesterday it poured. Come, Mitch, I want to invite you. Um, yeah. On if you can make it down to Sarasota. On December 17th, we have our annual investor party. So I'd like to extend that. I'll see if I can. That's a day after my birthday. So uh, even better. Even better, right? My wife <laughs> likes to go to Florida whenever she can. So, all right. Well, I, I thank you for your time mm-hmm. and um, let's stay in touch. I always like to see how my guests are doing and what's going yeah. on and how people get in touch with you. Best way to interact with you would be what? Your website, social media. Um, yeah, I mean, folks can uh, go to bqfunds.com. Um, okay. I have an ebook. Um, if anyone wants to just email me at, at martin at bqfunds.com, I'll send you an ebook. Um, if you have a general question, it doesn't even have to be like an investor related question. If you just have a general question, I, I you know, I always have time for door. people. Yeah. Good, yeah. good, good. All right. Well, I appreciate you spending time with me. Thanks so much. Thanks, Mitch. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Accidental Entrepreneur. Opening and closing music written and performed by Howie Moscovich and made to order music. For more information about Howie and his music services, please follow the link in our show notes. If you like the podcast, please tell others about us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, on Amazon Music, Spotify, and most of the other podcast directories. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review and feel free to share our episodes on social media. If you have any questions or comments, ideas for the show, or you'd even like to appear as a guest, reach out to us by email at info at The Accidental Entrepreneur is hosted by Mitch Beinhacker and produced by Beinhacker Law. If you'd like to learn more about our business and legal services, you can find us on social media or visit our website at beinhackerlaw.com. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our feed to be notified of all future episodes. Thank you.